Thank you, Ashlyn. Thankful for the musicians. As we look into God's Word today, we've got a great passage. I remember um, when Melissa and I lived in Longview, the previous uh, appointment we served at the Parsons, we had matching recliners and a little table between them. And one day I was going to make an online purchase, and I, I went to find my Discover card, and I couldn't find it. So I said, Melissa, can I use yours? So I'm sitting there in my recliner, and I'm filling out uh, the online purchase and holding the Discover card. And here comes four-year-old Natalie walking by, and she has on her little stuffed teddy bear backpack. So it looks like a stuffed teddy bear has straps on it. And I'm, I'm going to town, and, and she goes in her little munchkin voice, Oh, I have one of those. I said, You do? And sure enough, that missing Discover card was down in the stuffed teddy bear backpack. And so we located that. Uh, so uh, Discover has a motto, it pays to discover. Well, it must also pay to discover to keep your Discover cards out of reach of curious hands because they'll disappear and go into a teddy bear backpack. But it does pay to discover. And for too long in my life, I was not very curious about some of the ultimate questions. Uh, recently, a uh, Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias, that many people know, passed away. But uh, he, he was well known for, for framing up some of these ultimate questions in this way. He, he referred to that there are four areas or four ultimate questions. The first is origin. The second is meaning. The third is morality. And the fourth is destiny. And so the question for us is, are we curious about those ultimate questions of life? Now, when, I think when we answer the origin question and get that in the right place, I think the other ones actually get answered in the process as well. And so it all depends on where you look. Paul is writing his letter to some people in a little town called Colossae. And we might say that it was a has-been town. Uh, and it was apparently located on a major trade route that ran from Ephesus, which was a, apparently a really big city, all the way over to the Euphrates River. Now, you could almost think of it. Now, don't, don't put too much I'm not looking down on, but I think we can appreciate this. Imagine, if you will, if you had a business on County Line Road, and then you were looking up, up I-55 to what's going on in Madison. You think about what's happening here on Main Street or what's going on up, up in Gluckstadt. And Colossae was kind of like County Line Road in relationship to Madison and Gluckstadt because apparently Laodicea and Hierapolis were kind of the up-and-comers, and that's where the commerce was happening. And sort of uh, Colossae had sort of seen their heyday, and they were kind of on the downturn. And so you wonder if sometimes they may have felt a little bit of lack of self-esteem, maybe not feeling as proud about themselves as they used to. Also, Colossae was in the Roman Empire in a Roman province, and so no doubt they had all of the, the religious options and the spiritual options that were out there. They had this belief that Caesar was the Lord of the world. And I think Paul is challenging a lot of these things when he writes to them. Some of it's more obvious, some of it is it's a little more subtle, but I think it's right there. But apparently the Colossians had questions as well. And they probably had people asking them questions. But the bigger issue was the answers that they were getting. They were getting some false answers, some faulty answers. And whether they were already adopting those or they were just tempted to adopt them because they seemed very compelling, nonetheless, Paul saw some problems there. And so when you look at some of the things that Paul says in the letter, I think it, it, it starts popping out. So in their first opening verses, uh, by the way, some people refer to uh, verses 15 through 20 in chapter 1 as a hymn. Whether or not that's true, it is kind of interesting, though, that if it is a hymn, uh, later on, Paul says in his letter 
to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then to do that by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to God. So let's just imagine that this is sort of a hymn that Paul is either composing or quoting or whatever it may be the case. But he talks in verse 16 about the thrones and dominions, the rulers and authorities. Then he says um, later on in verse 28, he mentions this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Then if you look in chapter 2, verse 3, he talks about in whom, talking about in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Then look down at verse 8 in chapter 2, where Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Then in verse 10, he says, and, and you have been filled in him, that is in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. Then in verse 15 of chapter 2, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then it goes on later on at the end of chapter 2. We hear some things about, again, the elemental spirits in verse 20. He goes on to talk about human precepts and teachings in verse 22. And then he says in verse 23, these uh, have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Human tradition, philosophy, authorities and rulers, elemental spirits, things that must have been part of what was this, this plausible series of answers to ultimate questions of life. And Paul says to them, that these are, are dangerous. And he wants us to know this, that we have a complete Christ who completes us as we put complete confidence in him and give him complete commitment. Paul says that Christ is complete. I mentioned hymns. There's a great hymn that we a lot of times have sung in this church. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. And then the chorus goes, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. And that's kind of almost how Paul is singing in this letter. You go to the first verse, he talks about, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he talks about how they are the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. And how Jesus is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And he keeps mentioning Christ and Christ Jesus. And then he talks about Jesus in verse 13, as being the Father's beloved Son, and then he goes into his song. And he wants us to understand that Christ is complete. Complete means you have all the necessary parts. If you're talking about a, a complete protein, it means it has all the essential amino, uh, um, amino acids. Christ is the complete Savior. He's the complete Christ. And this is how he develops it. Christ is complete because he is the one alone who is the image of God, who therefore can clarify to us who God is. The knowledge of God, the personal experiential knowledge of God is the most essential and the most necessary thing we need. And it's so easy to get bound up in some of the other things that are around our lives that are not ultimate. And the only way that we can have the true, personal, full experiential knowledge of God is through Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. God being invisible, he has to be revealed to us. And it's in his son Jesus that we get that revelation. And Jesus, though, is not only the complete Christ, the complete Savior that we need, because he clarifies 
us, for us the knowledge of God. He's the complete Christ because he alone is the one that's in charge. That's what it means for him to be the firstborn of all creation. Now, don't get confused about this. Usually when you speak of firstborn in the Bible, that assumes someone who is, uh, they're, they're born into the world. And yes, Jesus was born as a human being, but we're not to understand that that means then that Jesus is a mere human being. Because it's obvious from the very next verse that Jesus had an existence before all the rest of creation. So it can't be firstborn in the sense that we think of like in the Old Testament. But it does mean that he has the right and the authority to rule over all things. Everything is under him except the Father and the Spirit, who together rule the universe. But Jesus is complete because he's the one that's completely in charge. And the reason that Paul can sing this song about Jesus being the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation is because of what Christ has done. Everything, whether it's things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, everything has its existence by or in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. And so that means everything has its source in and through him, and everything then is supposed to be determined by him. Because if it's created for him, then he gets to decide how it's going to work. And no doubt some of these competing philosophies, they, they sort of gave you an ethical vision of life. And let me tell you, there's tons of stuff like that in our world today, and it seems like stuff just keeps cropping up like mushrooms in the, in the wet grass all around us. Where, and, and these worldviews, they basically tell us, hey, you can divide up humanity in this way, and you can treat these this way and treat the others in a different way. And it's really, it's nothing new. This has been going on since the first sin came into the world. But we have to be careful that we are looking to the complete Christ completely and letting him determine how things are supposed to go. But the unfortunate thing is that when we get to this spot, as others have noted, it's clear that even though Christ completely made everything and we're complete in him, we have become incomplete. Because it's obvious, and he, he goes on when he sort of gives the Colossians' own personal testimony about their pre-Christ life, that creation has gone off course that we're in rebellion against God, and therefore we are incomplete. We stand condemned before this creator God. We stand cut off, alienated from him. But the good news is that Paul keeps singing his hymn. He keeps singing his song because that's not the final note. He moves on to say Christ is also complete because he is the author of the new creation. He has laid down his life completely after he completely became a human being. And, and yet, while he completely remained to be the one who was full of God's divine life, and he completely entered into our situation, he completely gave up his life on the cross, he completely died, he completely shed his blood, and then on the third day, he completely conquered the grave so that this situation of our incompleteness can be changed, can be, can be transformed. And so that's why Paul can say that Christ is not only the image of the invisible God, He's not only the firstborn of all creation, but he's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. And nothing or no one else can say that. And that's why Paul is basically saying to us, he's saying to us, he's the complete Christ. And he is the one who's going to bring us to completion. He's the one that through the shedding of his blood will take us when we're in this state of incompleteness, alienation, cut off from God, condemned from condemned before God, and through his blood, he completely brings us to peace with God. He brings us to complete favor with God, and he brings us completely home into our new and restored relationship with God. 
But it's not only that. That's some, sometimes where we stop. But Paul goes on to help us understand that the completeness that the complete Christ wants to bring is not only about starting us off and getting us back into a right relationship with God and peace with God, but it's also to begin a deep and complete transformation of our hearts and lives that will be completed when we meet him in glory. Notice what it says in verse 27. It says, To them, that is to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he goes on in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This this statement about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, it's not simply that we have a risen Savior outside of us, but the truth is that true faith actually puts us in Christ and Christ in us so that the one who is the image of the invisible God, the one who is the firstborn of all creation, the one who is the firstborn from the dead actually resides in us personally and corporately to begin a transformation that is nothing less than taking us on to the full glory of God. And that right here, right now in this life, I think Paul, unlike what we sometimes think, has a very high view of the degree to which we can participate in the likeness of Christ in this life. Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Or some translations, I think, actually say complete in Christ. And as you go on to read through the rest of Colossians, you see what he talks about. He talks about how you can put to death anger and wrath. You can put to death uh, those impulses that would lead us into choices and lifestyles that would have us just continually in a cycle of alienation and conflict with God. We actually can put those things to death, but then he talks about putting on the new self in Christ and having the power to love and to live in humility and other virtues and things which sometimes seem so far from our capacity. And the truth is they are far from our capacity if we have only a pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps mentality. But if it's an attitude of putting our complete confidence and trust in Christ, then these things are possible. And that's exactly what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to have complete confidence and have complete commitment to this complete Christ. Notice what he says. In verses 21 through 23, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." He had glowing things to say about these believers in Colossae, whom he had never met up to this point. He's writing, a, he's writing a letter to people that he knows secondhand through his co-worker Epaphras. But he knew they had made a genuine beginning in the faith. He talked about in chapter 1 their love and the Spirit. But he also and he, he recognized that they had truly put their complete confidence and their complete commitment in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. But he also knew that there were dangers out there. And he knew that there were threats to them diverting their attention. We may ask ourselves the question, what what difference does it make? Can't we have Jesus plus something or someone else? No. Because when we do that, 
we're basically denying what Paul has just preached and sung to us here. It's that it's only Christ who can save. No creature can save itself or some other creature. And so if we try to do something else beside the complete Christ or try to have Christ plus a supplement, it's basically diminishing and it's, it's, it's dismissing and dishonoring what he's done. We can only participate in what Christ has done if we say only Christ and put our complete confidence and complete commitment in him. And so that's why Paul is so serious. You know, just a little side note here. I think, unfortunately, we are too warning averse in the church today. We can't stand it to have a strong message. But if you listen carefully to Jesus and to Paul and to Peter, regularly in their letters, they have very stern warnings. They say, watch out. They say, be warned. And they say, don't be fooled. And that's exactly what Paul said to them. He says in chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. We must have Christ. The good news is in Christ we have the complete Savior and Lord. We have everything we need. And so we're called upon to put our trust in Him. So let's be discriminating. Let's be careful. But let's also be confident that when we trust in Him, we are redeemed, we will be redeemed, and we'll be fully redeemed in glory with Him. Let's pray together. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the beloved Son of the Father, we acknowledge you right now, and we say that you, you are our everything. You're the one that gave us life. You're the one who rules over us. You're the one who shows us the true knowledge of God because you are God with us. You're the one that is raised from the dead, and you alone are the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. That is surely part of what it means for you to be the Christ, the anointed one. So we give you praise and glory right now. We honor you and thank you for all that you are and all that you've done. And so right now, help us to have our hearts solely fixed on you. And when your spirit helps us to that place and we are cooperative with your spirit, we can know with full assurance, with complete assurance, that we have peace through your blood. We have life through your resurrection. Your spirit is now dwelling in us and we are on a journey of growing and maturing, becoming more complete, sharing, even in this life, it's possible for us to share in a high degree of your glory and then to know with assurance that you will complete that work when you come again or when you welcome us into your kingdom at our death. So, Lord, help us this day to have a sharp mind, a discriminating mind, to reject all false ideologies, all false paths, and trust you because you alone are the one in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We ask this in your name and through the power of your Holy Spirit and to the glory of God the Father and all God's children said, Amen.